Hey everyone, it's time to close out September and co-host Appreciation Month with a Dream Match Missed Opportunities podcast here on Kicking Out of Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all so very much for hitting that download button, press and play, and giving us your time to listen to my crazy, nostalgic, retro pro wrestling historical thoughts here on Kicking Out of Two. Like I said, it's a Dream Match Missed Opportunities episode, and this is a subject that was chosen by... One of my co-hosts, my brother Justin. What's going on, man? Not much, man. You know, it's uh, all this time in isolation and quarantining. You know, at the time of this recording, you, you think about what ifs and could have ends and almosts. And uh, this is kind of what brought us to me to choose this this uh, theme for this episode. Yeah, well, that's very cool because it's it's right in my wheelhouse. For those you know, longtime loyal listeners of this show that listen and check us out each week, um, which you can by the way check us out on Retromania, uh, Retromania with a W search, and you can find us on Google Play, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, um, all kinds of podcast platforms. You can find us. Um, you know, fantasy matchups, dream matchups, the what if scenarios. You know, that's right in my wheelhouse. Like I said, we do trading places, um, which I kind of touched upon with. Austin and Hogan earlier this year, which you can find in the archives. Um, so yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this one. And uh, for once, you're going to take the lead here. You're 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 going to be the one that's driving the car. I'm just going to be giving the directions, um, so to speak. And uh, let let's get into it. Let's talk about some of these dream matches that were missed opportunities in pro wrestling history. So take it away. Um, I think the first one for me that I look at. Um and it all starts primarily again my young fandom you know in the last you know 20 years ago you know as i've said before i would uh often be at the grocery store with our folks and while you know mom and dad are picking up the eggs and the milk and all that nonsense that you know we need um i'm in a magazine aisle buried in wrestling magazines um and i remember specifically in article in one of those magazines where they did a fantasy matchup of two two of WCW and WWE's top stars or excuse me one of each excuse me um, Goldberg and Stone Cold Steve Austin a, a thorough breakdown fantasy matchup article was was um, was was illustrated um, as to what could have happened between the two of those guys now the reason why I'll fast forward it to when Goldberg came to the WWE um, Stone Cold Steve Austin was sort of on the way out, was already out for that matter, but Stone Cold hadn't quite fully retired yet. So, you know, the, the, the idea of that match happening was still kind of present in our minds as fans um, to have essentially the two biggest homegrown stars of the respective um, promotions, at least in the time of the Monday Night Wars, finally colliding. Um, People still kind of talk about the possibility of that happening at like a super showdown or something in Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, that's my first one. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Goldberg. Now, um, when it comes to that matchup, okay, um, do you remember it being something that had been rumored um, in later years when Goldberg had made his way to WWE? Because um, I don't recall that being something that was discussed. Like you said, Austin was kind of on the way out in terms of in-ring uh, activity, and Goldberg was coming in. So 
Do you remember that being something that that was that was you know discussed within the dirt sheets and something that we would have we we could have seen at a WrestleMania? Because I don't. Uh, no, I don't either. Um, I think the, the the sliver that I'm hanging on to in terms of his criteria is the fact that Steve Austin really hadn't quote retired yet. Um, Steve Austin was still kind of in the WWE um, with his Eric Bischoff stuff, um, you know, Sheriff of Monday Night Raw, all that stuff. Um, he was still very much involved and active, and there really wasn't a declaration of sorts that he was no longer wrestling at that point. Um, and Goldberg was, you know, no one knew that Goldberg, for the most part, other than what his contract might say, according to Dave Meltzer, no one was really understanding that Goldberg was on borrowed time or that the clock was ticking towards how long he was going to be there. So to me, it, it, it was after he had wrestled The Rock, I felt like that that was something that, okay, maybe Steve Austin is, is going to be somewhere along this path. I was looking forward to Goldberg winning the championship and kind of having a Goldberg run. But with that said, I think Steve Austin being sort of in the picture, I think presented that possibility. And unfortunately, the most realization of the most real moment of that was right at the end of Goldberg's career in WWE at that point when he wrestled Brock at WrestleMania and Steve Austin was the ref. Yep. Um, to me, like, God, like, you could have gone that way if Wilbur decided to stay, or maybe you couldn't have with Steve's situation, but uh, I felt like, you know, the fact that they were both in the same place at the same time, to me, at least brought about that idea that, that that's something that could happen. Okay, so now let's, let, let's, per now, let's not totally go into the fantasy booking scenario here, but how do you get there? How, how, do, how do you get, I mean, do you get there on just their name value alone? Do you get there on the history that both guys were pillars in, in both WWF and WCW on the opposite ends of the, the aisle? Uh, how, how do you get to an Austin Goldberg confrontation at like a WrestleMania? And here's the thing. I think the, the, the tricky thing about Steve Austin is Steve Austin is a very hard character. So it's a book in fantasy scenarios. Um, you know, and we'll talk about him again, I'm sure, later in the show. But his character doesn't lend himself to someone who's, quote, equal to him. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he is a character who rises from underneath. And a guy like Goldberg or, or, or anybody else, other than, you know, a guy like Goldberg is just, that just seems like a, it, it might have not even been a good match, but I think Goldberg would have probably been the bad guy. Um, Goldberg probably would have been the, the, um, antagonist in terms of you know Goldberg could could he could probably come through and, and espouse how much better than Austin he was, how much more popular than Austin he was, you know, beating Hogan, beating, you know, everybody he beat in WCW and, you know, Steve Austin at this point would have had had legendary status to, to say like, you know, I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, I'll take on anybody anytime, anywhere. I'll, I'll raise hell. Don't matter if you're Goldberg, and you know I think it would have been very basic, like you said, on their name value alone. But you know I think the, the roots of it, I think from how you kick it off, would probably be on the Goldberg side. Goldberg saying you're just, you're next, you know what I mean? You're next. I've beaten everybody. You're next. Okay, um, that, that that seems that seems to be ideal uh, when it comes to those two. So, what's the finish, and how do you move forward? Uh you probably. I probably give the win to Goldberg. Really, Goldberg wins the match. Yeah, Goldberg wins the match, and then maybe Steve Austin stuns him at the end, um, just to just to 
Hogan most pose him, you know? Um, they, they, you could create a newfound appreciation for what, for each of them. They were, they are real life friends. Um, you can, you can strip away the, the storylines and, 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 and have them appreciate their, their place in wrestling history in that moment in the middle of the ring. But I think it, you know, given where Goldberg was at the time, assuming that he would have been more of a public figure in wrestling, uh, and there was Steve's on the way down here, Goldberg probably would have gotten the win because he would have been able to do more. There was, you know, afterwards, Steve Austin was obviously retired at this point, but if not, best case scenario, he was on borrowed time. Okay. All right. That sounds fair. So would it be fair to say that Austin is done or is there because of the injuries or, or is there chances of them teaming up for like a dream match or um, is Austin completely out of the picture? Does he go back to being the role of the, the, the co-GM or the sheriff? Um, how, do, how does that all, you know, unfold Post, for him? Goldberg? Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, probably the, the, the co-GM stuff. Maybe it depends on, you know, where, what he's doing before Goldberg gets him there. Okay. Um, you probably put him away for a little while, you know, and you kind of, you dust him off when you need him type deal, kind of what they do now. But, um, I think it would be, I mean, the, the way it ended for him was, I think, very appropriate. Yeah. But I think in terms of, you know, what could have been and, you know, their, their similarities and their, and their, and their looks and everything like that and their rises to the top of their respective promotions, I think created this, um, this desire to see them wrestle. And again, it's, to the best of my knowledge, it wasn't rumored. Um, But again, the fact that they were actually in the same promotion at the same time um, makes you wonder if Vince McMahon um, had any, uh, you know, possible phone conversations with anyone involved to make it possibly happen. But outside Mm -hmm. of that, um, I think, you know, Goldberg gets the win. The torch is somewhat passed or not. It's not a torch passing moment, but at least, you know, Goldberg can, you know, put that on his belt and keep going. Uh, And Steve Austin is not really harmed in any way. Now, aside from the the small interaction that they would have at at WrestleMania 20, do you remember, I believe it was in 99, when Goldberg challenged him on The Tonight Show when when he was still in WCW? I vaguely remember that okay um, and i think that might have been around the time that like i you know this this fantasy match kind of came to be uh-huh. um it might have been i don't know um might be a year or two off but um no i, I mean i do remember it vaguely i don't remember you know if there what type of response that got or whatnot uh but yeah i mean again these were literally the two guys you know outside of a hogan or a Bret Hart or a piper or a savage those that era of wrestling, like this was the new era of wrestling, you know, Goldberg mm-hmm. and Steve Austin. Now, from the best of my recollection, I think the 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 call out on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno stemmed from what you had mentioned earlier, the magazine articles, and then just the the, the parallels and the comparisons that the two of them would get publicly, um, to the point where sometimes you know mainstream media wouldn't be able to tell the difference, you know, 
I, I've heard stories that both Steve Austin and Goldberg have have stated publicly that sometimes they would be interviewed by reporters and Goldberg would be called Austin or Austin would be called Goldberg uh, because mainstream media wasn't you know as hip to who they were, but they had an idea. Um, yeah, and I so. Think Think of their Broken School Sessions uh, pod, uh, episode on the network. They, when Austin interviewed Goldberg, each of them submitted and alluded to the idea that even today when they walk through Republic, they will often be mistaken for the other. Yeah, I know. It's, so, it's, it's pretty wild. So I think that Goldberg calling out Austin stemmed from something like that on the yeah. Tonight Show. But here's where it pivots, and here's what here, here's where things get a little muddied. Goldberg called out Austin, and I believe he put like a price tag, like do it for like $100,000 or $1 million or something like that. I'll fight you, et cetera, et cetera. Make a big deal out of it. Does it on the Tonight Show. Kind of goes into business for himself. This wasn't something that was sanctioned by WCW. But then, if I remember correctly, this would pivot to Goldberg's storyline with Bret Hart in WCW. And Brett would call him out. And that's when they did the whole steel plate in the chest thing um, on that Nitro where Brett had the, 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 the steel plate under the hockey jersey. And then I believe it kind of continued on The Tonight Show to the point where Kevin Nash was involved and Kevin Nash was to step in Goldberg's place to face Brett, and I think this was supposed to be some kind of sanctioned match that was going to take place on the Tonight Show, and then unfortunately things changed after Owen Hart died, and you know Brett losing his brother, and then they just it never came to be. Did not know all that. Yeah, I think it, so. I think like Goldberg kind of sparked it, and Bischoff and WCW were like, "Wait a minute, we could kind of use this to our advantage." And so they yeah. pivoted, so they pivoted and they changed it up and it was Brett and Goldberg that had the issue. Right. So that, that that's to the best of my recollection. I don't have, you know, Conrad Thompson pages full of notes here to uh you know this is right, just right. This, this is just two guys talking wrestling in the best of our knowledge yeah. here. Um so if any of you are looking for a well-researched pro wrestling podcast, you're not going to get it with us. You'll 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 get our best recollections as as true wrestling fans. Um but while we're on the subject of Brett, why don't we talk about a dream match that never took place? In the WWF, and that's Brett and Hogan from 1993. Yeah. Why don't we? Why, let, let's elaborate on, on on Brett versus Hulk Hogan and why it didn't take place in 1993. Um, well, I mean, I think the the most fabled, um, you know, infamous, you know, recollections of it are that you know in 1993 Brett was the champion at least the beginning of the year, and. Um, Obviously, the infamous uh, conclusion to WrestleMania 9 left Hogan with the title. Um, at least Brett's recollections of it are that he's gonna Hogan's going to return the favor uh, at SummerSlam. There's even a rumor to be a, a photo of the two playing tug-of-war with the WWF Championship, and that match would have been set to take place at SummerSlam. There has obviously been contradicting stories from other people high up the food chain that say that that's not the case, um, but at least to the accounts in Brett's book. Um, plus, I think the sentiment of many fans that were, of, you know, where the, where the tide was changing, 
there was a there was an appetite on some level for Brent Hogan to collide. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was also fueled by, and this is before you and I obviously had recollection of it or had any knowledge of it, but this was fueled by the magazine. You know, this is before the dirt sheets. I mean, right. older older fans older than me will probably will probably have recollection of reading this sort of stuff in the Meltzer rags, but, you know, this was stuff that we had saw in the WWF magazine and even some of the after magazines where the, the, the question was posed, you know, Hogan and Brett and a showdown at something like a SummerSlam. Um you know, like you said, contradicting um, uh, reports from people higher up in the food chain say that that wasn't supposed to happen. But at the same time, the magazines always seem to foreshadow or kind of throw the idea out there of showdowns taking place. And they kind of tried yeah. to stay um, current with what was going on on television. So... You can make an argument that Brett was right and that him and Hogan were scheduled to face. Whether he was to return the favor to him or not, that's a different story. But um, I do feel like that conversation was was on the table. I, I, I feel like that's something that was discussed, at least. Whether that was a short discussion or something well thought out. I feel like, to Brett's point, him and Hogan on a major pay-per-view was discussed. Right. Um, it probably was. It probably was, you know, and if other contradicting stories are to be believed, that wasn't a plan. Um, I think the safe middle ground is that it was, it was, the words were spoken in terms of hypotheticals. You know, yeah, let's try to get a match with you and Hogan. Let's try to put you guys on, on pay-per-view for the bell. You know, you're, you know, all things go well, you you could be the guy that takes us into the next generation. And Mrs. Hogan's obviously the guy that could help us get you there. And, you know, those type of talk it out type conversations rather than what many people like to say is, no, he told me I'm winning or no, I was told I'm going to be the champion or I'm going to do this. I'm going to work with this guy. I think it's certainly, that's the variation. I think the differing in the accounts and it seems to be it seems to be a, a similar story to Brett's issues with Sean years later, is that he hears one thing from Vince, he hears it from the other party, he puts the parties together, and Vince tells him a different story in front of Sean, which is what yeah. he, which is what he's claiming took place in front of Hogan. That Hogan told him, "I have no problem doing the favor for you down the line," and then when the time comes. And Brett's not getting what he felt he deserved in return. He brings both parties together, and Vince is telling them no. And there's, like you said, there's multiple reports from people out there, like Bruce Pritchard and other people have said that no, it, it, that was never discussed of Hogan dropping the title to Brett. But I, like I said, I kind of call bullshit with some of that because of what you would see in those magazines, especially the WWF magazines. Because I remember a specific issue of the WWF magazine that had Undertaker on the cover. And at the bottom of that magazine, where the normal uh, postage um, tag would be on the magazine from your, with your address, um, yeah. under, if you peeled that off underneath it, there was a picture of Hogan and Brett in two separate squares and boxes and there was like a, a, a heading that said you know Hogan and Brett something about the showdown that, that is set to take place or wh whatever and they kind of implicated SummerSlam 93 as that um, 
as as that as that uh, the, the, that setting for that match. Um, so let's say let's go. Let's now let's go into it again. Let's say you know Brett, Brett's right, and Vince tells him he's going to get Hogan, and it's going to be for the title at SummerSlam '93. How do we get there, and what's the finish? Um, how do we get there? Let me pontificate real quick. I had some notes here for this um, from a discussion that we had about this not too long ago. If I can find it here. Um, let me see. I believe we kind of so, talked about this a little bit on the SummerSlam 1990 podcast, which you can find in the archives. Yeah, so I think the way it works is that, you know, it changes a lot, I think, versus what happens with other wrestlers. But I think you get you get Hogan and Brett probably in some form or fashion, you get them at maybe Survivor Series or WrestleMania 10. Um, again, the the, this, the plans for Hogan probably change if other things are are um, happening or not happening, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it, the Ultimate Warrior still being in WCW or Ric Flair still being in, or excuse me, in WWF, rather. Um, yeah, that's probably... It, the need for Hogan to stick around longer than he did is probably present, and therefore Hogan does stick around longer. Because okay. I think that's the biggest mashup to all of this potential, is that it appears that Hogan was not planned to be in WWF in 1993 past when he was there. Yeah. So if there was a desire to have him there any longer, then he would have been. And I think it would have presented these, uh, these, this fantasy matchup at this time sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, like I said, I, I could see it happening at Survivor Series um, or WrestleMania 10, which would be very apropos given everything that that event that event means. Um, and I think the problem I think in 1993, 1994 is you would have two good guys wrestling each other, and I don't know how much more over. I don't know how. I don't know if Bret Hart just to make it a simple comparison. I don't know if Bret Hart would have been as over. As the Ultimate Warrior was in WrestleMania Six, to do a babyface matchup, yeah, yes, to go against Hulk Hogan, yeah. So I don't know if it would have had the same desired effect, but I think at the end, Bret Hart does go over. Bret Hart wins, and you you cement the new generation and you set that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just don't know if it has the same effect that I think we all would have liked. I think Bret Hart could have gotten a good match at a Hulk. I think Bret Hart is a smart enough worker to make that work. Um, but kind of in the same vein as Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan is a difficult character to book yourself with or to be booked with because he's a very special attraction um, that kind of like, you know, the the great rock bands of our time, you know, the, the Rolling Stones and Aerosmiths, you want to see them play their hits and, 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 and show their good stuff. And, you know, Hogan must pose, right? Um, there's some merit to that. So it's kind of hard. Like It's a brilliant character for Hulk Hogan in some respects because he can continue to to, to put that act out for so long. Um, mm-hmm. So it, again, it's just a difficult character to really do some creative stuff with. Yeah, And I think Bret Hart is the, is the antithesis of that. Um, 
So it would have been interesting on paper, but I don't know how they would have gotten it effectively done to get Bret Hart the shine he, he needed to take us past 1994. Do you go? Do you do that based off the finish from WrestleMania Nine? Like the, you know Hogan kind of swooping in and taking the title from Yoko after Bret gets cheated out of it, and then Bret kind of f- feels some sort of resentment towards Hogan. Maybe maybe the the the, the downfall of Bret Hart. He wins the King of the Ring, but then he's dealing with you know his issues with Jerry Lawler following that and the torment that his family suffered. That you know maybe maybe Bret Hart you know. The, the, the resentment begins following that finish and, and depending on the run that Hogan has as the champion in, in, in the, the spring going into the summer of 93? I think I think you do it as like a redemption angle for Brent mm-hmm. because there's still like he's the rightful champion. He was unjustly defeated. Um, there's that to kind of build off of. And then you kind of you kind of give Hogan his Hogan run in the meantime. You probably give him a rematch with Yoko. You might even put him up there with a narcissist Lex Luger. Um, you know, maybe you get him in there with a giant Gonzalez. Um, you kind of do the Hogan stuff. Yep. To kind of you know, you know, headline cards and and, and you know sell tickets, and then under the underneath current is Bret Hart just kind of escalating. So again, again, he's maybe again, the revenge with Yoko, maybe he gets a Luger match, a perfect match. Who's to say, you know, Sean Nichols isn't included in that or Razor Ramon, but climbing the ladder. And then, you know, maybe he still does wrestle Jerry Lawler at survivor series to, to, to kind of put all those pieces together. And then that brings about the interesting aspect of what happens with Owen and that turn. Um, I still think you could execute it. Um, but you know, again, the adversity that Bret Hart to go, Brett had to go through, and how that played into what ended up happening in, in reality with Yoko and his title, Bret's title win at WrestleMania, could that be played into a match with Hogan? Um, possibly. So again, it's it's all it's it would be uncharted territory for sure. Um, again, Hulk Hogan's a very difficult character. It's a very in the lines character mm-hmm. to to put out there that makes it very hard to really do do anything interesting yeah. when it's a baby you know it's got to be it's a very very it's very prototypical it's good guy and bad guy yeah. could brett be a bad guy i yeah i think he's got i think in 1993 he'd have the chops for it um but given hogan's track record he should have no problem wasting a guy like bret hart who as an effective bad guy would, you know, certainly have to be very interesting to say the least. Okay. Um, now I know that this dream match here that never took place in the WWF technically took place in WCW on an episode of Monday Nitro in late September of 1998. And because of the scenarios that we have discussed, um, Regarding the missed opportunity that they had in the WWF, um, many people were clamoring for it when Brett arrived in WCW in late 1997 following the Montreal Screwjob. As a matter of fact, everyone expected that to be the first thing on Bret Hart's radar was a match with Hulk Hogan. And it never really came to be. And we would get Bret Hart in small doses 
Um, throughout the early part of his run, he had a great match with Ric Flair. His first match on pay-per-view with Ric Flair, and then he just kind of disappeared. Um, and then he would do a little bit of stuff feuding with the NWO. Then he would join the NWO. Then he'd get kicked out of the NWO. Then he would go back with the NWO. And um, But he was never really a member of the NWO. He was a friend of the NWO. It was really strange um, throughout you know his first year in WCW. Um, like I said, the match that they had on Nitro was really to facilitate a turn once again of Brett and Hogan swerving everyone and um, Brett rejoining the NWO black and white. Um, and then Brett would get hurt in late 98 and you wouldn't see a whole lot of him in 1999. I kind of talked about it earlier Um you know, in 1999, he would start stuff with Goldberg, and Goldberg would get hurt, and Goldberg would have to be out, and he would get knee uh, knee surgery. But um, they seem to kind of capitalize on the shitty first year that Brett had in WCW, where Brett just kind of was an island unto himself. He had no affiliation with anyone, and he would call out guys like Hogan, like Goldberg, like Sting, like Ric Flair, like Kevin Nash, like all the heavy hitters. And that's when they started that angle with him and Goldberg with the, the, the steel plate. Obviously, the timing of his brother's passing, his unfortunate passing um, at the uh, Over the Edge pay-per-view had resulted in another setback for Brett um, in, with his career in general. And then Brett would make a return in the fall of 1999. And I don't know if you remember this, Just. I know you were a big WWF guy more than WCW, but Brett, you know, contemplated retiring. And then he came back on an edition of Nitro in September where he said he came back to World Championship Wrestling so that he could fulfill his destiny and have the big dream match with Hulk Hogan. And unfortunately, it didn't come to be. Not long after that, Vince Russo and Ed Ferraro would take over the writing and Eric Bischoff would get sent home. You have to think, based on that, that they were building to Brett and Hogan at something like Halloween Havoc or a Starcade or whatever the case may be. Talk, yeah. to, talk to me a little bit about the missed opportunity within WCW of a dream match with Brett versus Hogan. I mean, yeah, uh, to echo your sentiments, I mean, based on his original involvement at Starcade uh, and his role in the main event, you would think that would have been the next move. Um, but as it relates to what they ended up doing later, like you said, very clunky, very weird. I think um, what I do remember about his summer of 1999, he appeared on an episode of Nitro before the fall and he kind of like it was the first time he had been on tv since his brother passed and he gave this really heartfelt speech about kind of not knowing where he stood um and whether or not that was authentic or not you don't know but at the time as a fan given what had really happened it was a very like oh my god like he might be retiring like this you know and with so much left on the table yeah and uh the hogan remark i actually don't recall but there was always this belief in my mind when brett got to wcw he needed to get a match with Hogan, but even almost before that, he's better than everybody here, in my opinion, as as a as an unapologetic Brett fan. He was better than everybody in WCW. He had just been the champion in WWF. 
He's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. He needs to be the champion. And just the image of him having the big gold belt was always something like, man, like, if he could do that, like, come on. Like, that's just, that would be awesome. So, while I don't recall the Hogan remark, um, I do recall when he did end up coming back, like, this is the road for him to become the champion now. Like, because Hogan was by and large in and out still, not really any, you know, consistent level of, of, of anything but when he when when Brett came back that's when I said all roads lead to him being the champion um, which he did end up becoming at, at mayhem at the, the beating Benoit in the finals of the pay-per-view but still I would agree um, that probably if you know now knowing what you've said that probably he would have had a match with Hogan at some point in a big at a big time pay-per-view um, how that relates to how that conflicts with what ended up happening uh yeah maybe he wins the tournament like he did and then you see hogan and brennan starcade you know what i mean you capitalize off that right away mm-hmm. um those are that's probably the, the simplest way to break it down so if he doesn't so so he wins the belt he gets hogan at starcade he may have never gotten injured the way he got injured in that match with goldberg because him and goldberg yeah. were the main event starcade and yeah you 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 also kind of saw them teetering and teasing the idea of Hogan and Brett in 2000 when they when they they had Bischoff and Russo work together, and Brett was kind of like this enigma of sorts. Um, where does he stand? Is he a member of the New Blood? Is he a member of the Millionaires Club? Like, or, or what you know? What's his deal? And there were a few times where he got involved in some Hogan segments during that early part of Bischoff and Russo's run on television. So it's almost like they were trying to they were trying to wait to get a a, a serious answer regarding his health because of the concussions, but they still yeah. wanted to use him on TV as best as they could, even to the point where later in that year. They kind of reformed the NWO again without calling it the NWO with Brett and Russo and Jarrett and Steiner and Nash. And Brett had gotten Brett had gotten involved in a few other finishes involving Goldberg, stemming from Goldberg injuring him. So it sounds like to me that in this instance, there were definitely there were definitely different roadblocks that prevented Brett and Hogan from happening in WCW. Some creative, and some when it comes to Brett's health because of his concussion. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the time 2000 it hit the, the, the angle with Goldberg and the, the injury there, um, yeah, he was kind of like, you knew he'd gotten injured. You even knew that he was prop- there was a chance he could never wrestle again, like a legitimate word, real one. Um, but... Yeah, like anytime Brett would kind of intermittently pop up, you kind of like your ears would perk up. You're like, oh, like okay, maybe he's back, and then you wouldn't see him again for like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you know? Yeah. Like, like I remember, and maybe you can fill the blanks in here. It's not really related to Hogan per se, but I remember when they had just started building Team Canada. Yes. And but in his last appearance ever in WCW, he showed up at the end of like Lance Storm's match. Yes. Whoever he was wrestling, Mike Austin. Yeah, at the, it at was the, a new blood rising that the yes. interview was called. Yeah, it was in Vancouver. He showed up, and you like kind of thought, great, like okay, maybe if he doesn't wrestle, he's the manager of Team Canada, mm-hmm. you know. 
And like there was all this optimism there. And obviously we were I wasn't thinking a Hogan match was in the cards at that point because Hogan was now gone from WCW. But um, just the, there was optimism in that. But then it's not spoken of again. And like anything else in WCW was just kind of thrown out the window. I think, no I think he stuck around for a few weeks after that because I remember an episode of Thunder. And I think they were taping it in Canada because they were in that they they did that Canadian loop for that pay per view. Um, I believe he kind of was like an ally to Lance Storm and Lance Storm's Team Canada, and they had kind of incorporated Goldberg injuring him into the storyline. And it was it it almost was like you said, like he was going to be like a a mouthpiece for Team Canada, and they were going to do his bidding. Because Goldberg had retired him, or Goldberg injured him, and he could never wrestle again. Um, but then he was gone, and then two months later, WCW let him go because he was inactive for over a year. Um, yeah. So, um, and and we've all talked to you know every everyone who's done a wrestling podcast or has talked about wrestling when it comes to Bret Hart and WCW. There's not many kind things you can say about it, um, but he's one of those guys that at least in WCW, he had the most left on the table. And especially with Hogan, because of their history from the WrestleMania 9 finish. That that seems to be one of the biggest missed opportunities uh, when it comes to dream matches in wrestling history. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, again, the WrestleMania 9 finish. But, like, once Hogan left... It was pretty well understood the next guy to replace Hulk Hogan, if you will, was Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and there was a there was at least some truth to it in that it lasted. You know, World yeah. Warrior had a shot and it didn't really last. You know what I mean? Savage had his chance, not chance, but Savage had his run and it was over. Yeah. But once Hogan was out of the picture and this new generation was launched, Bret was pretty much established as the Hulk Hogan, the new Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know, for the you know, for the most simple way to put it. Yeah. Um, so just on that alone, that tells you, like, anybody who's understanding or watching wrestling, man, how cool would it be for those two guys to wrestle? Oh, so you absolutely. add that to WrestleMania 9, and then the chance to have it happen at WCW, obviously not with the fanfare it could have, but again, you always were looking forward to that until you knew it couldn't happen anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um Throw out another dream match scenario that was a big missed opportunity, and let's uh, l- l- let's dive deep into it. I'll let you. Uh... So uh, I would probably go with um, as far as fantasy goes in the same era as Hogan and Brett and WWS. Um, it's been said and reported that um, the Macho Man Randy Savage, who was um, obviously looking for more screen, you know, ring time. Um, he uh, was obviously relegated to commentary. WrestleMania 10, he wrestled Crush, which I think is a very underrated match. But be that as it may, he was certainly historically not used to his capability and star power. Um, it's been said in recent years that Randy Savage champion for the opportunity to kind of pass the torch to Shawn Michaels in 1994. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how serious that was discussed. I don't know how if that permeated through to the Meltzer sheets or anything like that. Um, but that was something years later. Again, I probably didn't even up until maybe it was probably around you know closer to towards the end of Savage's life is when I heard this this 
story kind of you know leak out yep. but yeah uh, Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels he said he you know apparently he had remarked that he felt like Shawn Michaels was maybe the next him or just the next great wrestling star yep. in the WWF and that he wanted to help make Shawn Michaels on a big stage you know I've never I've never heard that until like you said right around the time probably Savage had passed away or towards the end of his life um, I know that his brother Lanny Poffo had confirmed that that's something that Savage had pitched to Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon um, like you said relegated to commentary on Monday Night Raw looking for extra ring time you kind of got to go back a little bit when it comes to that um, you know late 1992 Ultimate Warrior gets popped for, uh, for, for, for for drugs. He's no longer with the company. They had to pivot and on the fly at the last minute. Uh, put Mr. Perfect in his place in the tag team match of Randy Savage against Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. Uh, a few weeks prior to that, Bret Hart becomes the WWF champion. On that same loop of shows, Shawn Michaels wins the Intercontinental title and really breaks out probably his best singles performance um, in that role, following his turn on Marty Jannetty, um, be defeating the British Bulldog and becoming the Intercontinental Champion. And then as you back out of 1992, you know, the, 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 the tag match at Survivor Series kind of really ended Savage's run in terms of like a real main storyline. Um, because he would kind of be relegated to commentary on Monday Night Raw. He'd maybe have a couple of matches here and there. He was involved in the Royal Rumble match. And Sean kind of pivoted back to Marty Jannetty. It was right before Michaels won the Intercontinental title on the it was the October 31st edition of Superstars in 1992. Marty Jannetty returns after the barbershop incident. And he takes the mirror and he goes to swing at Sean. Sean throws Sherry into the way. He nails Sherry and knocks her out. And they were off to the races. So the timing of Savage kind of being, I wouldn't say left out in the cold, but they were they really went hard in a new direction when Brett won the title. And Savage really didn't have much to do. And like we've talked about in private, you know, they went to Flair and they told Flair we're going in a new direction. You can stay or you can go back to WCW. Flair decided to go back to WCW. And they were really running hard with that new generation. And for me, as a kid, I just remember not understanding why Randy Savage wasn't wrestling as much, you know? And I feel like during this time period, this would have been a good opportunity for Savage to pass that torch, so to speak, with Shawn. Now, according to his brother, he wanted a two-year program with Shawn Michaels, and I don't think, I don't think there were such things as two-year rivalries in WWF at that time. And he wanted it to culminate at a WrestleMania where Sean would beat him, and that was where Savage would kind of ride off into the sunset. Um, but I could probably see them going several months, you know, maybe culminating at SummerSlam later that year in 93, or even King of the Ring, if they were to start that late 92, maybe, you know. Sean beating Janetti at Royal Rumble. Janetti's no longer with the company following that, and Savage kind of. Filling in that slot, so to speak. Not to say that his match with Tatanka at WrestleMania 9 was a stinker, but I'm sure people probably would have been more excited to see Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels at that WrestleMania in 93. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
that's like one of the great tragedies that Randy Savage was in the company and didn't even have a match at that WrestleMania. Mind you, the year before, he had won the WWF Championship against Ric Flair um, at WrestleMania 8. And the fact that a year later, he's sitting next to Bobby Heenan and Jim Ross is as great as they are. That's not his place. His place is in the ring. So, um, you know, just it's certainly an interesting uh, prospect that we could have seen. If nothing else, Randy Savage is known for, obviously, his intensity. Um, but he seems to have his roots, you know, entrenched in the mentality of a wrestler, of all the wrestlers wrestler in terms of, you know, we hear it said all the time, you, you know, you win him in the ring, you lose him in the ring. And that's that kind of speaks to who he is as a professional in that, you know, he understood what was coming um, or what he could do for someone like a Shawn Michaels and what Shawn Michaels could do with that. Um, and just that the, the cycle and health of wrestling overall and how important that could have been. So, um, man, what that, like, Shawn Michaels is Mr. WrestleMania, and as I've said before, that was Randy Savage before that became a marketing term. You know, Macho Man was Mr. WrestleMania, so imagine seeing him and Michaels at the very beginning of Michaels' rise. Um, It could have been, I think, you know, it could have been on a level of a Savage Steamboat, for sure. Do you think it's something that could have lasted, you know, six months to a year? Um, pro- you know, I would say yes, because I think Savage's time in the company and his, his age would have probably made him more of an attraction. He would have probably wrestled less, maybe appeared less, mm-hmm. and you could have stretched out a program and he stretched out, you know, those, those moments that build towards a match. You could have stretched that out for a while, probably. So I think in that, from that small little, you know, kernel, I think you could have probably stretched it out. Oh, you know, six months plus. Okay. Maybe not two. Yeah. Because two years in a WWF time of 1993 and is a fucking lifetime. Yeah. So, um, now it's just months, but back then it's a lifetime. Yes. Um, so it, let's try and bring a more realistic approach to this dream match. Is this something that starts with, is it one of those situations where like Michaels calls him out and he's the old timer that you know he just he's just you know Michaels trying to establish himself as a big name by going after the old timer like Savage is on commentary on Raw or is it just something that you know um, is it start off physical is it just you know um, a confrontation in the ring how, how how could you picture the beginning how do we get to a Shawn Michaels Macho Man match at a WrestleMania? Um. You know, Savage. You know, from a from a, a non physical standpoint, you could certainly use the commentary aspect of it. Sean had some time on commentary as well around that time, so maybe those two trade barbs back and forth in a more escalating fashion with you know Vince McMahon in between them um, to kind of set that up. Uh, Sean also had the talk show, the Heartbreak Hotel. You know, maybe you bring Savage on there and you you know you 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 humiliate him and embarrass him. You know, to, to kick it off there, um, you know, in 93, 94, Sean is working with the likes of Marty Jannetty, Razor Ramon. Uh, maybe Savage interjects himself into uh, a confrontation there that, you know, that kind of cuts Sean off from, you know, winning a match or getting the best of those guys. Um, those would be all, I think, appropriate avenues to, to at least 
get Savage and, and Michaels going. You could also go the, the other route, like you said, the, the young guy trying to make a name for himself and, and call out Randy Savage that way. Um, I think there's a plethora of, of avenues to go down. Okay. Um, and I think we're pretty much in agreement that obviously the end result is, is you know, Shawn Michaels walks away the victor and it's kind of that torch passing moment and that's where randy savage kind of rides off into the sunset in terms of his in-ring career uh probably that's what it sounds like at least if we're gonna stay consistent with the uh the chatter that's Uh been you know spoken in the last 10 years um that that would have been the moment uh maybe there's multiple matches out of it and maybe savage gets a win to start it off and sean gets a comeback win and then you know, who knows? But I think ultimately, at the end of the program, no matter how many times they work together, it probably ends with Shawn Michaels looking like a million bucks um, and a future WWF champion and Savage, you know, having a swan song of sorts. Now, here's a question I have for you. Could you picture Savage in a mentoring role with Shawn leading up to a match? Or do you see it being something that Savage could do following losing to Shawn? I would say probably leading up to, uh-huh. um, especially given his less, you know, his his lightened load in the ring. You know, see, Randy Savage could have made being Shawn Michaels is like number two. He could have made that look good, like you know his colorful attire. Imagine if he was in Shawn Michaels esque attire. Uh, um, you know, it was some Randy Savage pizzazz to it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, you know, he could have made that work. It wouldn't have looked out of place. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, throw on his Randy Savage hat, his tassels. You know, maybe he's got some chaps on, or maybe he's got, you know, instead of the Savage glasses, he's got those heart-shaped glasses. You yeah. know, he could have made the presentation look where it was as if Savage was an advocate of sorts or, you know, mentor of sorts for Shawn Michaels on the way up. Okay. Yeah, I, I now that you kind of describe that and picture that, I could I could kind of see that. Um, I kind of see that moving forward. Um, all right, uh, let, let's talk about these next two dream scenarios that involve Sting. Um, right on. The first one being something that was a slight rumor. I just found this out recently. Um, listening to uh, an episode of Grill and Jr. where Sting was. There was a discussion about Sting wrestling The Rock at WrestleMania 21 in 2005, um, and a number of factors uh, didn't uh, didn't match up, or a number of factors took place that did that, that resulted in this match not occurring. One being um, Sting's lack of desire to return to a full-time type of role, because at the time the WWE was looking to. Um, they were looking to, to, to bring Sting in and do some stuff with him because he was the last guy, the last big big name in WCW that they didn't have under their umbrella. And, uh, you know, at the time they wanted Sting in a more full-time type of role. And Sting was not willing to do that. And I think this was also around the time when Sting was getting those um, that, that cushy schedule with TNA. Uh, where he would, you know, he would sign a one-year deal. He'd work part-time. He'd work with a lot of younger guys. I think he'd have a run with the belt or two. And then usually, like right around, you know, the 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 expiration of his contract, that's when the the you know the, the question would come: Is he going to stay with TNA? Is he going to stay with TNA? And he made a yeah. and he made a substantial amount of money. So um, Sting, not you know, 
joining WWE to participate in this dream match with The Rock probably had a lot to do with, you know, how he was going to be used. Because Sting has told the story before on, on numerous occasions that the way that the they, they positioned some of the WCW guys in the invasion, he was afraid he was going to be put in that category as to, to, to look less than. So he, right. was af- he was afraid of how he was going to be perceived. And also, too, he didn't want to work a full schedule anymore. Um, I don't know if, if money had anything to do with it. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that played a factor. But um, that's that's one reason. There's multiple reasons on Sting's end why this match didn't happen, according to the, the urban legend, the rumors. And then on The Rock's end, the story I've heard was that and I don't know, even know if Rock was approached with the idea, but The Rock never was offered a renewal of his contract. WWE let his contract lapse, and they didn't even call him. And he that was, to me is the most bizarre thing ever. Like, okay, I want to ask you about that. So yeah, let's elaborate on that for a little bit. Okay, given what The Rock had contributed to the industry, the 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 small window of time he was with WWE, let's say, you know, five years and, you know, four or five years. And he, um, or no, eight years, excuse me. Cause he was, you know, he, his last official match before 2005 was WrestleMania 20 with Foley against evolution. Um, so his, his small window of time, he was with the company, the, the large impact and everything he had accomplished during that run for them to not offer him a deal to renew his contract, even though he was starting to really make waves in Hollywood as a, as a in, in a leading role, to me, it's just baffling. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I buy that they just like let it lapse and didn't say nothing, or there had to have been some communication that all right, sounds like you're going to do this, or hey, I want to do more of these movies and I want to go into this route with my career um and it had there had to have been an amicable amicable parting where they couldn't come to an agreement on a type of deal that he could operate under where he showed up a couple times a year yeah um based on what he was looking to do outside of wrestling that i don't believe for all the flack wwe might get about you know being quote a sloppy shop you know as has been thrown around in recent weeks and months i don't think that they just woke up one day and went, oh, shit, The Rock's contract expired yesterday. Ah, fuck. Well, well whatever. No big deal. We'll talk to him another like, time. Yeah, like, I just refuse to believe that. And mm-hmm. I, by all means, I want, I would love to hear that be proven wrong. But yeah. I can, I, it's just a billion-dollar company with the resources and wherewithal to make anything happen. I don't, I just, I just don't. It's and you don't believe. think The Rock would call them and be like, "Hey, my contract expired. Were we going to get a new one?" Like, yeah. you're telling you're 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 saying that both sides of the party just like they're just waiting. Stop they're waiting for you to make the first move. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Yeah, not 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 to the point of the contract expiring. Now, Jim Ross had said on that same episode of Grill and Jr. that the that he he didn't have all the details surrounding. You know, whether Rock had, you know, whether they had, you know, not contacted Rock or if they let his contract lapse, he alluded to a couple of things. He alluded to the fact that he believed that 
there was that that the discussion was on the table for the match to happen at that WrestleMania that it was talked about and factored in the issues I brought up with Sting scheduling how he was going to be used money I'm sure the two C's the two C's cash and creative you know um, but he also alluded to the fact that at that time he was not in talent relations anymore he was not handling contracts. So he right. kind of passed that one on to John Laurinaitis, and he didn't have anything very nice to say about him. He still doesn't, because... No one really does, and I don't really, like, I guess, whatever, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, but, I mean, he kind of passed that one on to John Laurinaitis, um, that Laurinaitis wasn't um, wasn't on top of things, you know, and, and his team of people in talent relations like JR would have been. But at the same time, you know, which 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 is a fair statement to make because there have been plenty of stories and narratives out there that Laurinaitis, he wasn't the type of leader that JR was in that role. As a matter of fact, he signed the wrong one-legged kid. If you remember, you've heard that story before with Zach Gowan. Yes. Okay, he signed the wrong one-legged wrestler and he had to tell the kid, sorry, I meant to get someone else. Um, so there's that, there's, there's those stories there where it's like, okay, I could kind of believe that he, that, that maybe Laurinaitis dropped the ball here and didn't offer Rock a deal. But at the same time, I think to myself, as big of a name as the Rock is, I think Rock's kind of out of, you know, Laurinaitis is, you know, way out of his league when it comes to the Rock and maybe Vince is the one that's, that's, that's doing the negotiating with Rock. Absolutely. That's, that's, I would, I would exactly, that's my sentiment. Exactly. Like there might be some clerical feet dragging in the mud, but yeah, like the rock was definitely on a level at that point where he was, he was, he was talking to Vince McMahon. Like, come on. Yeah. Directly. I mean, yeah. There was no attorney without, without yeah. having any direct knowledge of that. That's, and that seems to be the way it works. You know, yeah. Yeah. The higher you up on the car, the the more access you're getting to the boss. So yeah. I, I mean, you might you 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 probably deal on on a on a fine on a finite level with with Laurinaitis and his people because that's a, those are, that's talent relations. But at the end of the day, though, it's being communicated by Vince McMahon. Yeah, with Rock. Now, with all that being said, let's say we get to WrestleMania. How do you get to WrestleMania with Rock and Sting? And how does it, and and how do you how do you finish? I think you could probably you could use some real real life stuff and you know Sting kind of comes in as you know the crusader of sorts that he's been this dark crowing character but you know the minute you put a microphone in his hand like he's going to remind everyone of the way the rock treated Booker T and the like say look you know I I stood from afar and I saw how every one of these WCW guys was treated Booker T, Goldberg, run down the list of people. You know, how you and Triple H and Steve Austin and Vince McMahon all, you know, you know, they laid you laid waste to them, you know, and, and you've you've effectively killed the legacy of WCW, but I'm WCW, you know. I I and kind of do what they did with Triple H, mm-hmm. but in a little bit more of a Sting would still be the good guy, but like you know, Sting's saying, you know, you still haven't beaten me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the franchise player of WCW, and and you've you haven't killed the legacy of WCW until you've, you've you know, me. 
Right, and yeah. The Rock can certainly... And I'm thinking Rock more like Hollywood Rock 2003. Yeah, 2003, yeah. I was thinking that yeah, too. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the launching point. And, um, you think Rock's good enough to be a heel during that yes. time frame in 2005? Because he was so good in 2003 as that, you know, Hollywood heel, as, as, as the, you know, the, the, the diehards like to call him, that he eventually was turned babyface. So you, you think that you, you think that he could he could turn it on and sustain the kind of heat and hopefully the fans can you know continue to hate him so to speak in a, in a rivalry well, with someone like Sting. I, I don't know if they would necessarily hate him, but ultimately it gets the match in the ring. You're going to put out some quality where the Rock's going to be able to trip, throw some jabs at Sting, and Sting's going to be able to react, and you know you're going to get entertaining television out of it to get you to the, the match. Because at 2005, in 2005, WWE was firmly comfortable. You know, I don't want to say it was, it was like a country club, but there was no, there was, there was no outside forces in wrestling in sight that were going to challenge WWE. They were enjoying their spot on top at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Four years removed from buying WCW. So, and they were just starting to absorb a lot of these bigger guys that were coming in and, and having little runs, the Goldbergs, the Hogans, Flair, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, so I think it would have just been very cut and dry in terms of it would have been entertaining. They would have been able to do a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with The Rock making, you know, doing the Hollywood Rock deal and being entertaining and funny, but it would have, and Sting would have just come out and reacted to it. And the match would have just gotten in the ring. I don't know if there would have been real true heat outside of the the, the fundamental, you know, WWF trying to kill WCW underlining story. It would have, but but I think it would have been just to get the just to get those two guys on on the marquee. Yeah, no, that would have been, that would have been enough to sell tickets. Right, yeah. Rock, you will be Rock, and this is kind of the angle we want you to take. Sting, go be Sting. Yeah, and react off the rock. Yeah, you know what I mean. And we'll pivot, um, and we'll pivot when necessary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we'll just get you guys in the ring. We'll we'll yeah. ask fans, to cheer, you know, fans will cheer for Sting and fans will cheer for Rock. I don't think there will be, I, I don't think there would be much consideration given to oh, well, this might make Sting look stupid or oh, the Rock, they're, they're going to cheer for the Rock or they'll, oh, they'll boo the Rock. And I don't know if the Rock wants to be booed. I think they would just look at it like get the match in the ring. Yeah. Okay. And be entertaining. And what, what, where do you see, how do you, how do you see this playing out at the end? Given the way it played out in 2015, I think The Rock probably wins. Okay. Um, I don't know. From the, from that vantage point, knowing what we know now, I say that, but I think you would, you would think like we probably thought in 2015, well, of course Sting's going to win. It would seem easier to believe Sting would win, but yeah. given Given what we know now, I would say probably if Rock and Sting clashed at 21, that The Rock would probably win. Okay. All right. Just to, just, just to appetize that and appease that. Because you're really, they're, they already got Sting, whether he wins or loses. You know what I mean? Yep. So, Rock goes, already been made. Rock, Rock, huh? goes, Rock goes off into the sunset, does a few movies, maybe comes back a year or so later. And, yeah, it's just a and, money match. And, and, and Sting... You know, you you can 
you put him on hold until you you figure out the next scenario for him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I don't I don't think it's um you would think sensically it would be the it'd be you know the logical step would be for him to win, but at the same time, I could definitely see the Rock winning because of who he is and who, what he means to the WWE, yeah. especially even at that time. Yeah. And you know, kind of in the same vein of what they were looking at with Triple H. You know, it made sense for Triple H to win, despite the fact that it made more sense for Sting to win. Yeah. You know, like, they were going places with Triple H. There really wasn't plans for Sting other than to market him as this legendary, iconic figure. You know, it wasn't going to really hurt Sting to lose. It wouldn't have hurt Sting to lose to the Rock, either. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, on the Sting front, let's talk about the one that everyone talks about, the one that I think will continue to be talked about until it eventually happens or until they tell us it's never going to happen and that's Sting and Undertaker um absolutely what I already I kind of have an idea where you might be going with this one here um so I'm gonna kind of let you take the lead um Sting Undertaker where when and how could this have taken place so I think Obviously, the, 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 you know, the, the, the natural comparisons are there based on their characters, um, especially in the Monday Night Wars. They're dark, brewing, mythical statures. Um, and then just their overall positionings in their respective companies. They were both the stalwarts, um, the mainstays, the constants, um, through the good and the bad for both. We're staying, in, we're staying in the Undertaker. So that's the natural attraction to, to them getting in the ring with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that, again, that's probably the, that is the fantasy match of all fantasy matches, I think. Um, the first real opportunity that I can recall seeing this happen is WrestleMania 27. Yep, that's where I was going. Uh, yeah, I think that it was in Atlanta, the home base of WCW. The Hall of Fame was in full swing, as far as a as a as a uh, a driver for reintroducing talents, reminding ta- you know reminding the fans of of, of legends of past. Um, Sting was, you know, like you said, every year you get to a point with TNA and his business there, and you'd go, okay, mate, okay, he's he's put that one down. Let's go. Let's go to the WWE now. Let's get that match out of the way. Um, so naturally, for the Undertaker, he had just passed a new. He had entered a new chapter of his career, having just gone through the classics with Shawn Michaels. So, the, the the selection of people in terms of worthiness to face him at WrestleMania was very small, um, and Triple H was the logical guy to, for him to face. Um, don't get me wrong, but. The other elements, as I mentioned before, I think presented the opportunity for Sting to be that guy. I know they teased the Brock Lesnar match at UFC, which caught a lot of buzz um, and was a really cool moment as a wrestling fan to see it kind of bleed over into that world with other people talking about it. Yeah. Um, And that really caught a lot of people's attention for a a significant amount of time. Yeah. But Sting, um, given all the elements and the history involved, I thought, and again, the available... Uh, partners for the Undertaker to, to, to dance with. This was this to me was like this was perfect. 
it was kind of along the same lines as when Undertaker fought Shawn the first time at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 25, the silver anniversary, two of WrestleMania's most heralded performers, you know, for their in their own right, in the state of Texas where they're both from. Um, it like all that made sense, and that part that was, and this was kind of like that, you yep. know, two years. Later. Um, why it didn't happen? Um, I mean, it sounds like Sting just wasn't ready. Um, I haven't heard anything anecdotal from anyone with closer knowledge to it, but it sounds like, you know, you know, they're just Sting wasn't ready to come aboard, and you know. Triple H is an easy plug-in, especially when he's the son-in-law of the boss. So, I think there was probably a tight window to make it happen, and it just didn't. It just the train left the station, and and no one wanted to jump on. That, that, that's probably a safe bet. Um, Twenty-seven and all the 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 elements that you had described. Um, what for me? Um, I think that something that I don't know if you forgot to mention it or something that I think was a key component as to why Sting and Undertaker was to take place at 27 were those vignettes that they were airing on oh. Raw. The, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, go in, on. In the cabin where yeah. it would say 2-21-11 and you would see like a dark, mysterious figure, a silhouette, kind of walking through this cabin with like very dim lights it's raining and then from time as the vignettes would build each week you would see different things like you would see a trench coat and black boots which you could make an argument that that could have been undertaker too but everyone was dead set on that to be yes. a sting even to yes, the point where point. i even think that they might have somehow slipped in a shot of a baseball bat in the in one of those vignettes, and everyone yeah. for sure thought it was Sting, and the two twenty one eleven, all the dirt sheets had confirmed that at least that they both parties were talking, and this was to lead to WrestleMania with Sting and Undertaker. I even think, and I could be wrong, but I think a fan made a a WrestleMania poster with a yeah. picture of Sting. Uh, holding up uh, a, a deck of cards, and there was an ace, and it had Undertaker's picture on it with the WrestleMania 27 logo. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That Sting had taken that picture and retweeted it himself on social media, and that fueled the fire even more that these two were going to meet and collide. And then when February 21st, 2011, rolled around. They aired this vignette. Everybody thought it was going to be Sting debuting on Monday Night Raw, and when you you they the, the cabin door swings open and the rain and the thunder and everything, you see the feet. All of a sudden, it rise. The camera rises up and it's the Undertaker, and everyone looked at that as like the biggest disappointment. But they held out hope because they thought that Sting would have at least been the one to crash Undertaker's party. And yeah. it wasn't the case. And it turned out it was Triple H, like you said, an easy hole to fill in as the as the son-in-law of the boss. So yeah. that was probably the closest chance as a fan 
that we could have seen Sting and Undertaker on a grand scale like at a WrestleMania. More more so than when Sting was actually signed with WWE a couple of years back. Okay? I really feel I really feel like 2011 was the closest thing that we could have gotten to it. Even though Probably. Sting wasn't under a contract at the time. Probably, yeah. And I and I like I said, I can't believe I totally forgot about the whole vignettes. But there was a, I remember a vignette maybe it was right bef- the week before the under two twenty one eleven where the Undertaker showed up in the window of that cabin. You you, you so know what? I'm starting to remember that too now that you say that. So so when the Undertaker showed up, it was like you're like, damn it, it's not Sting. But you held out hope that Sting was again gonna maybe somehow involve himself in some way. Maybe the next week's video will be something else, or you know what I mean? Yeah. But like you said, once it was clear what was happening with Triple H involved, that's kind of to me when the wind, when the when the door was shut or closed or closed over as best as as best as possible. Because like I thought that was like you said the best chance. And if you go out and you know if we move forward to when Sting actually came in, you're right in the sense that I think there was probably more of a chance, at least in the eyes of the fans, that this match would have happened at 27. But I think for similar reasons, there was a good chance that it could happen again when he was under contract. But obviously, his, his neck injury took place. Yeah. Um, after 31, Undertaker was kind of had nothing. You know what I mean? He had beaten Bray Wyatt, and the storyline with that was coming off losing the streak that The Undertaker, quote, still had it. Because that was kind of the, the, the underlining message of, you know... And Wyatt wanted to be the guy to put him down, not Brock. So that right. so, so Undertaker had to come back because, you know, you, you're not going to call out the devil, and I'm just going to sit, you know, sit by and let it happen. Yeah. And then when The Undertaker won, like I said, it was just like... All right, the Undertaker has returned to WrestleMania. The streak ending doesn't end the Undertaker. You know what I mean? There was yeah. kind of those subliminal messages. So then the Undertaker, by and large, disappeared again, and 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 they kind of pieced together a program with Brock Lesnar, which I did not think was very interesting. No, um, but they made it work. They made the best of it, and obviously ended at hell in a cell but before that is when Sting's injury took place I did very much feel though that with Wrestlemania taking place in Dallas Texas home of where Sting was living at the time yep home of The Undertaker yep a hundred thousand people yeah, I thought it was a done was deal another, yeah yeah like, I thought it was a done again, deal the, for similar reasons as 27 the, the, the landscape of, of quality opponents was was bare that cupboard was bare he had already again he wrestled Brock at SummerSlam so as far as we knew at that point after SummerSlam, it was over. You know, they did the one final time after the fact when Sting was injured, but it was it was basically, by and large, uh, great. Like, Shane McMahon hadn't returned yet. You know, I think the big candidates for that match of The Undertaker were John Cena and Sting in the, in the fall before Sting's injury. Yes. Um, given the name value they both brought, given the, the task of filling that building... Um, with as many people as they um, needed to, to make that successful. Um, the door for me shut completely. Obviously, the match was already booked with Shane. It's WrestleMania weekend. He announced his retirement at the Hall of Fame, which I think was probably done at the request of Vince McMahon to, to create a moment, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that such a wrestler could make that announcement at that 
moment at that show. Yeah. But once he did that, knowing what injury he had suffered, that's when I looked at it and said, you know what? That it's it's definitely not happening now. Yeah. Um, the Undertaker's on borrowed time. You know, who knows how long he'll last? And great, goddamn, that was four years ago. Yep. Almost five. Yeah. Um, and Sting is Sting don't look like he's getting in the ring. But with that being said, we can stand here today and say, man, it's still possible. Yeah, I mean, it was even it was even discussed, you know, in January. Like you, usually every year around the Royal Rumble, there's there's a handful of names that get thrown out there as being surprise entrants. And I believe it was like at the eleventh yes. hour that Sting's name was dropped, and that that his activity in the Royal Rumble match was to potentially lead to something with Undertaker, or rumored to lead to something. Now, I don't know how true all of that is, but um, that was the latest rumor um, around January of of this year, was that it was going to set something up with him and Undertaker. And then, obviously, um, the, the stories that have come out were that staying in WWE, talks broke down, and then not long after that, his contract ran out with them. And that's why one of the, um, the, the, the toys that had come out, the action figures, wasn't allowed to be released um, through Mattel because he was, right. no, he was no longer under a deal. Um, even though yeah. Sting, you know, will campaign every once in a while on social media to talk about, you know, a, a match with Undertaker, um, you know that I'm kind of with you there. Once that retirement happened, that kind of shut the door. But you you still get the talks, um, and I think fans spoke about it even more um, after the success of the Boneyard match because it was a pre-taped match, and yes. it, the cinematic production of it with Undertaker and AJ Styles, people thought, you know, it, people thought, oh shit, you know. You could throw the two of them in a match in Saudi Arabia because those people won't appreciate it like we will. But it, but that will be WWE's compromise to finally giving us Sting and Undertaker is at a Super Showdown or a Crown Jewel or whatever. Yeah, but that then, was where I was going to go next, along but, with the cinematic aspect, which has kind of birthed itself in recent months. The Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia element, where they go there twice a year and they dust off whoever they has whoever has any. Name value internationally. Hogan, you know, yeah. yeah. They don't, you know, DX, the Brothers of Destruction. There is, there are, there are Godfather offers being made for wrestlers and the like to be sent over there to to perform. Who's to say that they don't? Who's to say that they don't bring Sting over there for a show? Yeah, you know what I mean. And who's to say that doesn't include the Undertaker? It's very talks about it publicly, so it's. The door, the, there's a the, there is a crack open in that door. Yeah. Where between ci- the cinematic approach, which I think is would be, I I, I would rather see it in front of a crowd. Same. Um, Same but, here. But uh, the cinematic approach, I think, gives it more life than ever, or not more life than ever, but gives it more life in the last four years than before. And then again, the Saudi Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, angle of, you know, it doesn't really matter how good or bad the match is. Um, we can we can back up the Brinks truck and get you guys in the ring together. So there's still hope for this one. Ironically enough, the fantasy matches of all fantasy matches. There's absolutely still hope for this one. 
Yeah, based off of your 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 explanation there, I can I, I can agree with you. I think there is there's a glimmer. Well, before, before we go any further, would you want to see a Sting and Undertaker match? I would only for, and this is selfishly. Maybe it's just because I'm older. Only because I want to say that that like I've seen it all. You know what I mean? Or I've cl- seen close to everything. You know, in terms of yeah. dream matches. You know what I mean? Um, because I think that they could still be able to give us something special. You know, in wrestling, unfortunately, we live in a world of wrestling, especially, you know, us as fans. We've been fans for, you know, I've been fan a fan for 34 years. Um, you, you've been a fan for not, you know, not too terribly longer than that, but, um, or shorter than that, I should say. But, uh, you know, every we've seen everything. Okay, and we've seen everything done over and over again, you know, and so selfishly, I would like to say that, yeah, I would like to see this match because it's never been done before. The quality of the match, I don't, it will obviously not be the quality that we hope and expect from, you know, 20 years, 25 years ago, but I think that given their, their dark brooding characters, and the, the, the association that the two of them have had with each other amongst diehard wrestling fans for this big fantasy match, that there's that there would be some appeal and intrigue in a buildup. All the hocus pocus and the, 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 the smoke and mirrors that these two can provide each other going into a match like this. I think the buildup would be better than the actual match itself, but you know, I think it would be, as you would say, a greatest hits. You know, Undertaker gives us his best. Sting gives us his best. You go seven or eight minutes tops. Undertaker with a tombstone for the win and the discussion. They both shake hands. Curtain call. We finally got to see it. They can both fucking rest. That they've never, you know, that they can finally have this match with each other. And they've had it. And, you know, hopefully it lives up to fans' expectations. So, that, that that's where I stand with it. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the... Uh... The, uh, the thought process I have too I definitely want to see them uh, make it happen um, if we're looking for something of quality uh, I would I would say that the quality will come in a cinematic um, edition yep uh, but for the moment and that's what we live for the moment that you create at least in the early stages of that bell ringing it, uh, everything beforehand um, the hype everything that that entails uh uh, in front of a live audience is, is ideal for that. Yeah. Well, you you said there was, you know, this is the dream match of all dream matches, and it's hard not to argue, but there is one more left that, uh, that I would like to discuss with you. Um, you know, one match that I feel like is literally like two faces of each generation of, of some of the greatest moments, or, or the, the two greatest eras, in wrestling history as a whole. And I'm talking about Hogan and Austin. Absolutely. Um, Back in March, as we headed into WrestleMania, I did uh, the usual Trading Places show, that we the the concept that you helped come up with. And I kind of altered it a little bit, where I talked about the possibilities of Austin and Hogan taking place at not one but two WrestleManias and how that would affect some of the other matches on the card. So I kind of talked about how, you know, if you plugged Austin into Rock's role and Austin were to face Hogan, where does that leave Rock? 
and does Rock face Scott Hall at WrestleMania? And I thought of, well, maybe you put Rock and Undertaker together as a tag team and you have them face the Outsiders. And that's how you introduce X-Pac into the NWO. Um, and Undertaker and Rock at the time had their issues heading into that WrestleMania where Ric Flair was involved. There was a power struggle between Flair and Vince. You kind of add all those elements together. You have Rock and Undertaker who don't necessarily get along with each other as a team, but they're fighting for the greater good of the WWF with co-owner Ric Flair, who Undertaker has issues with, against Vince McMahon and the NWO. I feel like that's something that would have been acceptable during that time period. For sure. Okay. So that's if you were to have had Austin Hogan WrestleMania 18. Then you have Austin Hogan WrestleMania 19. And you kind of build off of the fact that they were supposed to meet each other at 18 as the buildup heading into 19. And both guys are baby faces. And it's a battle of, you know, it's never happened before. I want to see if who's the best. Who's the guy that, that, that really put the WWE, WWF on the map, so to speak. And in, in, in my scenario that I illustrated on that recording, um, I kind of included Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon into that buildup where Bischoff was trying to fight for his job to stay as the general manager of Monday Night Raw and he had a run-in with Austin at the No Way Out pay-per-view a year, you know, a month month or so prior. And so he would kind of try to weasel his way into a friendship with Hogan again. And Vince is kind of having Austin do his bidding to get rid of Hogan because Vince and Hogan had issues for months prior to that WrestleMania. So it would kind of be intertwined of the story would be Austin and Hogan trying to figure out who the best is, but these two slime balls in Bischoff and McMahon are the ones that really brought us together. So let's have the match of a lifetime and we'll worry about these two later. So I kind of, and, and, and where, where did rock fit into this? Where did Vince fit into this? Well, Vince would kind of be like an, an outsider, so to speak, you know, an, an onlooker in the match. And then you would have, Rock, you could plug him into the match with Triple H and Booker T for the world title because The Rock kind of had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted um, as that Hollywood heel. Or you could have plugged in The Rock and Brock Lesnar because Kurt Angle going into that WrestleMania broke his neck and needed surgery. And there was a chance he wasn't going to wrestle. And so if you kind of went that direction, went that route... You had an easy. You had two great spots that were WrestleMania worthy for someone like The Rock. So that's where I kind of went in the direction of doing Austin and Hogan. Now, tell me how you would get to Austin and Hogan, whether that be WrestleMania 18, WrestleMania 19, or both. Um. I would have tried to actually get it at WrestleMania 23. That's where I would have gone with it. Okay. Um, I think from an interest standpoint, um, I go back to when it kind of, not first got talked about, but when it the, the chatter really got loud was uh, the remark that Austin made at the Hall of Fame about Hulk Hogan. In 2006, yeah. Yeah. Um, when he went to induct Brett, he made the remark that he'd got, he had a cannibal bass with Hulk Hogan's name on it. 
And Hulk Hogan, whether he was put on or he was not, uh, looked less than pleased with the remark, whether he knew about it ahead of time or not. Um, and Hogan was still kind of working matches in and out. He had done the Sean match at the SummerSlam prior. He would end up working Randy Orton at SummerSlam that year in 06. Um, and, you know, Hulk Hogan's, with his, uh, you know, contributions and history to the business and where they were looking to go for WrestleMania that year, um, I think it could have been very appropriate to, to have them kind of on the marquee at Ford Field at WrestleMania 23. Mm. Whether or not that's necessarily involved in a battle of the billionaires or not, I don't know. Um, probably, you, you. I guess from the vantage point that you brought up the Bischoff, uh, McMahon uh, roles that they played in, in, in your scenario, I think you could have done the same with Trump and McMahon. Um, and that, I think, could have been interesting. Um, but they could have, they, they didn't need, you know, they wouldn't have needed those guys either. The Ballad of the Billionaires, I think, you know, was suffice the way it was with Umaga and Lashley. Um, but I think you could have gotten for the task at hand to sell out that building in Ford Field with 80,000 plus um, on Austin, an Austin um, Hogan match, all grown up, if you will, hmm. as you know, like WrestleMania that. was. Um, despite the the hilarity of those vignettes in that that camp ad campaign, if you will, yeah. um, you were now at a time of transition as well. Um, that whole period was transition. I was they were kind of leaving the the ruthless aggression era in that in that year two thousand seven. Um, and I think Austin and Hogan would have been an appropriate dream match, I think, for that year's WrestleMania, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And I think you could have certainly played off of everything that those guys have done. Their their entire resumes um, would have been littered with material that could really, really entice Laps fans even as to who's going to win, yeah. who is going to lose, you know, and you know, I think in today's WWE, you would have, you would have probably had Vince McMahon call it the greatest matchup, yeah. um, and you would have had you would have had it almost stipulated that this match will determine who the greatest of all time is, yeah. Um, and I think even stuff like that is as you know buzzwordy as it can be, it would have it would have turned some heads. And I thought, and again, with this now transition into this stadium period of WrestleManias that we have been into, I think it would have been a great match to put. It would have been a disservice to put that match in front of 14,000 people um, at a Chicago or a Los Angeles. Yeah. It would it deserved and it going, going to eight set, you know, 18 and 19. It, 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 it belonged on that stage, not on a, not on a, you know, not in the Allstate arena. Yeah. Now, when did the door shut on you for that, for that dream match? Uh, probably not too long after. I mean, Hogan's injuries and such. And um, I would say uh, his lack of mobility, his increasing lack of mobility, um, shut the door on that. Um, I remember, and again, I've told you this story before, uh, when I was working in Bridgeport the week after WrestleMania 23, um, and as a, you know, I was getting paid in wrestling fandom to work with your boss, Rob, as a, you know, Basically, whatever he wanted me to do. You were for his a catering, catering assistant that day. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah, a hospitality assistant, yep. I guess, was my title. Yeah. But I was fortunate enough to have breakfast with WWE referee Jack Doan. Um, and I didn't get too fanboy on him, but, uh, you know, I told him I had attended WrestleMania. And, and he, it was my first WrestleMania, and I plan on going forevermore after that. But he asked me what I thought of the show, and I thought it was excellent. And, you know, I was really excited in the months before about the possibility of Hulk Hogan being on the show. Um, because of who he is and you know that would have been awesome and i didn't inquire as to why hogan wasn't on the show but his remark was that hulk hogan um wanted a large amount of money i want to say he said like five million dollars or something like that or you know some large sum of money and maybe he read that somewhere too for all i know but uh he had basically alluded to the idea that hulk hogan and vince mcmahon um oftentimes have different views on how to do business and Hogan's going to do what's best for Hogan. Yeah. So that's why that, I didn't even ask about that match. Cause I remember there was like talk of him and big show on that card and other like different opportunities, but just him being there. And it sounds like the overall, you know, theme is Hogan's going to do what's best for Hogan. And, uh, it sounds like, um, on that side that that's probably, um, a good reason why it didn't happen, despite the fact that he has said he would have loved to have made it happen. I know Austin has also preached that he would have loved to have made it happen, um, and that, but that he was not a fan of the 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 chemistry that they potentially would not have. Yeah, I mean, um, when it comes to eighteen, I know that Austin's name was brought up. But he was, I think it was a combination of the fact that his body wasn't the same. He felt like he wasn't going to have a good match with Hogan. And I think he also kind of had some resentment towards Hogan because of their limited time together in WCW. Um, when Hogan came in, that was pretty much like that signaled the end of Austin in a featured role, even as a mid-carder. Um, and I think he got hurt as well. Um, so I think there was some resentment there. And I think that kind of carried over when Hogan returned in 2002, from from what I remember on uh, you know reading and various podcasts. Um, I don't remember hearing anything on Hogan's end that there was anything about business with him in Austin. I think he wanted to work with him, but I don't know anything about a finish. I don't know if he did one of those. That's not going to work for me, brother. Um, as as the as the reputation he's gained over the years, but um, I. I from what I gather, 18 didn't happen because um, I think that was largely in part due to Austin. And it, it's funny because I think I, I, I listened to uh, Grill and JR recently where they talked about how you know Austin walked out of the company in 2002 in the summer. And um, there was you know rumblings that some, some of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't placed in a in a featured role at WrestleMania that year. Um, however, um, he kind of it, it was also alluded to that he might have sabotaged himself because I it sounded like they they threw the idea out to him about working with Hogan and he said no. And yeah. And so He's even said in interviews in later years, I think he was on Busted Open last year with Dave LaGreca, and he said, to, he said, he goes, God damn, I wish I wasn't so stubborn. Me and Hulk could have done some serious business. 
and he kind of wishes that he he wasn't you know stuck in his ways so to speak um i know he's in a good place with hogan now um publicly i've seen it um you know they, they they he's been on you know hogan's been on his podcast and they've they, they they seem to be in a better place but um austin has fully admitted that uh he doesn't uh that that, that he got in his own way when it came yeah, to when it, when it came to that match at 18 as far as 19 goes i've heard that it was thrown out there but it wasn't a long discussion at the table it was what if we did this and it and it didn't really materialize, but it wasn't because of either Hogan or Austin. I think they just had other plans. Yeah, I think I think ultimately the the, the, the summary of it is that Austin wasn't digging it at the time for whatever reason, personal or professional. I do think it's a difficult match to book at the end. As I've said before separately, both of these guys are very difficult people. Not even people, but professional. You know, their characters are like, you pay to see what you get from them. Yeah. Um, and especially if it's an attraction. Yep. So, you know, you don't pay to see Hulk Hogan put someone over if he's going to come in once a year. Yeah. Um, and you don't, you don't necessarily pay for Austin to do the same thing either. It's, it's their very, and you kind of look at the rock in the same vein, um, you know, in today's landscape. Um, they're just very hard creatively to, to make sense of because of who they're of their of the characters they've developed mm-hmm. over time with the audience. So um, I think that's a huge. I, I honestly can't give you an answer as to who would go over at all because Hogan must pose and Steve must stun and have some beers. And how you can make all sense of that is, I guess it wouldn't matter because they would get the match in the ring back yeah. to the Sting's Rock scenario. It wouldn't really matter. As long as there someone was willing to do business, and it sounds like Hogan was, um, it just it's difficult um, to really really make it work, and uh, that's probably I would say even more interesting to ponder than maybe Sting and Taker is Austin Hogan because um, you know that is at least in WWE history you know Sans NWA and territories and all that those those are along with Bruno like I my Mount Rushmore is. Bruno, Hogan, Austin, Taker. Yeah. So to have the two Mount Rushmores go at it on the biggest stage or that you could possibly find, it, like that's, I mean, that's wrestling can end. I need to be good with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. I think we've uh, I think I think we've covered the gamut of. Uh, of these missed opportunities when it comes to dream matches. I'd like to thank you very much for uh, taking the time to, uh, to, to record this with me. Um, I don't know how many more of these we got left, pal, uh, with yeah. you, with you and I, as your, as your schedule will, uh, will fill up um, by the time this re- recording drops, uh, you know, we, we we might not be in constant contact as much because of the addition to your to your household but uh, i just want to uh, say thank you for taking the opportunity to uh to to talk about this stuff with me and you know help with my passion here with this this podcast and uh hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon yeah no it's been it's been a uh it's been an absolute pleasure to to help do my part to get this off the ground and watch you run with it it's it's pretty remarkable um you know the 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 revitalized um you know zeal you have for this um and continue to have for it and you know i'm i'm, I'm always uh welcome for debate or 
you know, throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks and, and, and hopefully uh, contributing in some shape or form. This is by no means a farewell speech no. by any stretch, but uh, certainly uh, it, it, things will certainly change and change very quickly um, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, so, yeah, uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later that we get to do this again. Hopefully, you know, doing it in this distance capacity creates the opportunity to continue in some form, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely excited uh, for what more is down the pike, you know, over here as well as on kicking at it too. Um, you know, the, 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 the endless uh, world and never-ending story of pro wrestling is is very much in lockstep with with yours and my passion for it. So um, there will always be stories to tell, for sure. Absolutely. And with that being said, um, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna put the show down for the three count this week as we uh, we climb into the month of October, um, and we talk about uh, we, we talk about masked wrestlers. You know, everyone's wearing a mask these days, or at least we hope everyone's wearing masks these days uh, due to the COVID nineteen pandemic. We're gonna talk about some of the most infamous masked wrestlers in all of wrestling history next week. The the good, the bad, the ugly. Who should have worn a mask who benefited from taking their mask off we talk about the aspects of lucha libre and so much more next week here on kicking out it too and i think now is about that time that we put the show down for the three count and we will see you all next week <laughs>